Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold, bad opinions, and false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we are on a journey of imagination into the truth of Christian dogmatics. Yeah, you heard me right. It is not boring, dusty old tomes. This is God's Word spoken to us with such power that we are imbued to speak it back, to same say, to confess, to even have it be the operating system of our minds, our worldview. Just like St. Paul says, to make us hungry for the truth, to teach us to watch our life and our doctrine closely because they are the same thing. Because the time is coming also when people won't want to put up with healthy doctrine or healthy life, rather to suit their own passions. They're going to gather together around them. Teachers will tell them what they want to hear. They will scratch those itching ears. But you, you Christian, you hear this exhortation to hold firmly to the pattern of sound words, that trustworthy message as it has been taught in Holy Scripture. And so by being able to both think with it and same, say it again, be able to encourage others. We're doing all this by looking at Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics. We're going to be on page 83 today. If you want to grab your copy, I know you got it close at hand. And helping us do this will be a couple of regular guests. Pastor Matthew Gunia, he's pastor at Ascension Lutheran Church in Niles, Illinois. And Pastor Jeffrey Reese, senior pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. Gentlemen, good Monday afternoon to you. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Hey there. Thanks. <laughs> you are you are most welcome, Pastor Gunya. So we're picking up page 83 in volume one of Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics in the middle of the page with point three. So just by way of review, we are in fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, a section that the, the best I can really compare this to is really the movement of fundamentalism within Christianity, which said there are certain things that you simply must believe in order to be a Christian. Christian. However, it's a very different thing than that movement because that movement said, look, you got to agree on these things, and then after that, the rest of it doesn't exactly matter. A major in the majors, minor in the minors. This is very different. This is not, you just got to agree on this, and then after this, it's all free and good. Believe whichever one you want to believe. No, no, no. All doctrine is true, but there are certain doctrines that gravitationally lie more toward the center of the heart of Christianity, and if you pick them apart, they're going to blow everything up a lot faster. That's what these five doctrines doctrines are that he lists here as fundamentals and the first two i think this is so fascinating that the you know if you look at the the fundamentalist movement the first kind of thing they throw out there is scripture is true that's the kind of the first fundamental which we wouldn't disagree with that reality and, and francis pieper spent a lot of time in his dogmatics establishing that point but when he gets to fundamental doctrines the first doctrine he says is sin <laughs> you know the sinful condition which doesn't quite show up in the same way in the in the fundamentalist movement oh sort of does but not really as opposed to believing in your sinful condition as being even beyond your reason something greater than we can even imagine. That was number one. Number two is the incarnation, belief in the anthropos, the the God-man Jesus, the person of Jesus who has come from the Father, and it was the only way to the Father. Those are the first two fundamental doctrines, and now we're going to move in today to the the, the faith of salvation, the the atonement, the vicarious satisfaction, all that kind of stuff. But so, just what I threw out there today, you know, if if you both would take a chance and respond to these, you know, how important it is it to believe that you're sinful, and how How important is it to believe that Jesus is incarnate? Uh, Pastor Reese, would you like to hit that first? Uh, Sure. Yeah, I mean, both are equally important because repentant faith 
involves both of those things. Uh, you know, we, we often, when we think of repentance, the first thing we think of is sorrow for our sins, which of course is true, but that's really only half of repentance. Uh, from there, there has to be a belief that Christ uh, did indeed, is indeed God become man who uh, died for my sins and then rose again. Uh, but, so both of those things are fundamental uh, to being a Christian. Pastor Gunia? Well, if I'm not a sinner, then what do I need Jesus for? Um, I'm self-sufficient. I'm already cool with God. So it is a fundamental thing to recognize that I'm not cool with God by virtue of my sins, both the sins that I've committed and the sins that I've inherited from my fathers. And with regard to the Incarnation, uh, Jesus had to be born under the law to fulfill the law perfectly, and he had to be alive so that he could die a death in my place. So with uh, with that first point again, back to sin for a second. Last week we talked about this a little bit. It's it's interesting that what passes for or what is perhaps marketed as today's mission movements tend to want to bypass the whole repent you're a sinner part, right? It, there's this this move to attempt to, to give people the love of Jesus without any real awareness of what they need to be saved from. At the same time, you also do have certain, might I say, uh, legalistic-looking Christian fundamental movements that go to rallies and hold up signs like you're all a bunch of sinners and you're going to hell no matter what, right? And, and that is not what I'm really talking about either, where you go and you just kind of uh, kind of judge the world. But, but what do you think about this, that mission really starts with a, a need to help people, show people, teach people to believe that sin is there? Gunia? Well, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Reese. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's th- this, this idea that you can preach the forgiveness of sins without preaching the law, without preaching the fact that we are sinners, is ridiculous. I mean, Paul... 1 Corinthians 1, 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Why is the word of the cross folly to those who are perishing? Because those who are perishing have not repented of their sins. And before, if you are not aware of your sins, then as Pastor Gunia put it right at the beginning, what do you need Jesus for? So the word of the cross is by definition offensive to those who do not believe because they also do not believe that they have any reason uh, to be forgiven. Gunia? I think that it's significant that in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist begins his public ministry with the words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand. And then in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his public ministry with the words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which leads me to believe that repentance from your sins is a pretty important thing if both John the Baptist and Jesus preach the same sermon. So when we talk about, Gunya, uh, repentance of our sins, though, what does this mean? Does this mean that I have to become a perfect person in order to become a Christian? Or is this more, uh, again, an awareness of my need to be saved? Well, you have to become a perfect person, and the good news is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, makes you a perfect person in the sight of God. Um, Turning from your sin, that is repentance in the Greek metanoia, it means recognizing that, one, you are attracted to sin, we all are, and then purposefully turning away from sin. Now, the turning away from sin is not the thing that saves you. 
Jesus, through his death and resurrection, saves you, and one of the fruits of faith is striving to avoid sin and striving to do good works to your neighbor. But I want to zoom in there. You said perfect in the sight of God. So just in case someone out there is listening, can you, can you clear up that just a little bit? We're not saying that you become a Christian and then suddenly you're sinless, but that there is a, shall we say, a baptized life of repentance, a daily drowning of my temptation, my, my concupiscent desire for sin, and a daily rising in a faith which pursues something better, even while we wait as sinners for the, the fleshing out of that in the resurrection. Yes, uh, in preparation for today's interview, I asked my wife if I had achieved a level of perfection yet, and she assured me that I had indeed not. Um, So I can't doubt her. She knows me better than anyone else. Uh, So since I am in the flesh still imperfect, I am still in need of a Savior. So daily Jesus covers me with his blood. Daily I drown to sin and rise to new life by virtue of my baptism. At the same time, I'm a saint and a sinner, and it's a terrible existence. And I look forward to the day when Christ raises my body and I am pure saint with him in heaven. I hear that. I hear that. Pastor Reese, do you want to debate Pastor or Mrs. Gunia on any of that? No, I know Mrs. Gunia well. Um, I've known her since before she was Mrs. Gunia, and she's a sharp, she's a sharp gal. She knows her husband well. Right on, right on. <laughs> Page eighty-three point three. Then we're, we're moving again past the person of Christ. I don't want to give you know short shrift to the the incarnation. It is important, but now we're moving into the work of Christ, which goes with the person. You know that he became the person in flesh, as human, in order to do this work. Uh, the, the fides salvifica, saving faith, includes also the knowledge of the work of Christ. According to Scripture, Christ is the object of saving faith, not insofar as he is a teacher of the divine law, that is, he's not just a good moral teacher, nor insofar as he is the ideal man, the perfect pattern of morality, right, again, just good moral teacher, but only Christ is only the object of faith insofar as he is the mediator between God and men who gave himself as a ransom for all. The Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, referencing both 1 Timothy 2 and John 1 there. One who does not believe Christ satisfactio vicaria, the vicarious satisfaction that Christ stood in the place of sinners, taking all the wrath of God against all mankind's fall in that moment on the cross. He who doesn't believe that is, and these are are strong words here, is not a believer in the scriptural sense. He bases his reconciliation with God in some way on his own work and his own worthiness, and thus, eo epso, uh, by reason of the fact, I think, uh, excludes himself from the grace earned by Christ. Uh, uh, Reese, you ready to respond to any of that? Well, I mean, I can't really argue with any of it, and I think he spells it up pretty clearly. I mean... Uh, tertium non dater. That's uh, basically there is no other possibility. He, you either you either believe in the satisfact uh, the vicarious satisfaction, or you are not a Christian believer. Um, there is no third possibility. Um, yeah, no. I mean, he's he's. He's hitting it right on the head. I shouldn't say anymore because well, he's saying it perfectly. He is saying it well, but I think we need to at least open up the can of worms and say that within American Lutheranism, amongst those who claim. We are still following Jesus. We are the the, the real uh, heirs of the Reformation faith. There are those who who would make the claim that you can hold to this and really believe in law and gospel without a 
a belief in the vicarious satisfaction. And I know from just the the time I've spent on Facebook, which is too much, but that's, that can be said for all of us. You know, I know that there are some pretty vociferous arguments out there between those who insist, no, I can be a Christian and not believe in the vicarious satisfaction. I don't need any atonement theories made up by men. And those who say, whoa, you're crazy. You're off the deep end, like like Pastor Dr. Pieper here is saying. So do you want to, can you, can you dig into that a little bit more? Or maybe Gunia, can you, can you open that up a little bit? Well, I, I think the key words is that Jesus did all of these things for you. Um, I think it was James. I'm not like actually remembering right now, but uh, the devil knows that Jesus died on the cross. The, the demons in the book of Mark, they keep confessing, we know who you are to Jesus. You're the son of God. Um, the difference is, is that Jesus didn't die for the devils, and he didn't rise again for the devils. They have the intellectual knowledge that Jesus has done these things, uh, but the work that Jesus does is for us that we might receive salvation. And it's important to recognize that, and recognize that it's only Jesus, sola Christus, uh, that gives us our, our, our forgiveness of sins. And that this is, you know, to go on with Dr. Pieper here, that is the express verdict of Scripture, Galatians 5. Christ has become of no effect for you. You are fallen from grace when and if you attempt to believe that there is something that you can do beside the death of Jesus to become perfect in God's sight, right? It's not. This isn't about loving your neighbor right now. This isn't about the good work of your vocation. This is about actually earning justification in God's sight. Now, he puts a caveat on this in terms of how we understand who actually believes this false teaching. He says, true, there are children of God, true believers within such communions as ban the teaching that justification for Christ's sake excuse me, for the sake of Christ's perfect merit constitutes the foundation of saving faith. That is, and he says Rome. So so yes, true, there are real Christians in church bodies that don't teach this, but that is due to the fact that these men, in spite and women too, in spite of their church's interdict, put their trust solely in Christ crucified for their sins. So he does recognize that, that look, it's not about intellectual assent to this. It's not even necessarily about what's written in your church body's catechism, but ultimately, if you're not trusting that, that the blood of Jesus is the answer to your sinful condition, you're, you're, you're not a Christian. That, that's what it means to be a Christian, is the blood of Jesus covers you, right? right. The blood of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus alone covers you. I mean, if I'm going to start adding other things, that Jesus plus my works, Jesus plus my attitude— well, then what I've done is remove Jesus from the equation. Jesus doesn't get just 99, 98% of my salvation. He is 100% responsible for my salvation. And if I start starting, trying to steal credit away from Jesus and give myself a pat on the back for my own salvation, I'm risking losing my salvation. Reese, you got to jump in? Yeah, I mean, uh, I lost my train of thought. I was thinking, I was just thinking about what people will go on to call, call a felicitous inconsistency later on when you're talking about those who, uh, you know, real Christians who uh, happen to be in, in heretical church bodies or, or heretical religions. And uh, that is that is true. And I think one thing that happens, and you were talking about this earlier, at least you were alluding to it, I believe, is we we take the so-called felicitous inconsistency, and we sort of almost turn that into a rule rather than an exception. So you're like, well, you know, there's Christians in the Mormon Church, so we really don't need to worry about them. Or, you know, we, we need to be very careful here. Well, for instance, we're talking about fundamental doctrines right now, and you, you said from the very beginning, just because the doctrine isn't fundamental doesn't mean it's not important. Um, and we want to be careful just not to say, well, you know, as long as you believe in Jesus, then nothing else really matters. 
And some folks will take these arguments to that extreme, and that, that becomes a problem. Right. And it is kind of like a it's a tenuous or actually let me just say it's a tension. It's a tension to recognize the happy mistakes of certain Christians not actually believing what they're taught to believe by their false teaching church body <laughs> and mm-hmm. saying that the false teaching is not a problem. Then don't worry about it. Right? You, you can't you can't deny one or the other of those things. And he's going to point to the apology now as, as kind of saying this about Rome. The apology, therefore, declares, by the way, that's the apology, of the Augsburg Confession, part of the Lutheran Confessions. The apology therefore declares, on the one hand, that the Roman Church does indeed subvert the foundation of the Christian faith. Quote, most of those errors which our adversaries defend overthrow faith as their condemnation of the article concerning the remission of sins, in which we say that the remission of sins is by faith. Likewise, it is a manifest and pernicious error when the adversaries teach that men merit the remission of sins by love of God prior to grace. For this also is to remove the foundation, that is Christ. Likewise, what need will there be of faith if the sacraments justify ex opera operata without good disposition on the part of the one using them? Now, a person that does not regard faith as necessary has already lost Christ. Again, they set up the worship of saints, call upon them instead of Christ, the mediator, and so on. Thus far, the apology. On the other hand, the apology says, nevertheless, the knowledge of Christ has always remained with some godly persons. And we'll go ahead and take a break right there. Come back on the other side to continue digging through fundamental doctrines on cross defense. They're necessary and true and good for you. We'll be right back. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Every day, things happen that affect the lives of Lutherans worldwide. Whether it's mercy efforts to a disaster-stricken community, threats to religious liberty, or cultural trends. World Lutheran News Digest takes an in-depth look at one issue each week as I interview newsmakers and experts. All Sarah Gulseth presents a quick look at the week's news. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. On the next broadcast of Law and Gospel on Rumination Tuesday, we normally examine the hymn for the following Sunday. However, that is a mighty fortress is our God. So instead, we will look at the hymn for Ash Wednesday, From Depths of Wool I Cry to Thee. Weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Breaking down the stronghold, bad opinions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk, talking with Pastor Matthew Gunya and Pastor 
Jeffrey Reese about fundamental doctrines. They're all true, all doctrines, even the non-fundamental ones. But these are the ones that are literally at the at the deepest heart and core. And if you don't believe them, uh, you can't be a Christian. Uh, Dr. Pieper has given us the knowledge of sin. He has given us the person of Christ, the incarnate God-man, and he's given us the work of Christ as the vicarious satisfaction for all of our sins. We left off with Dr. Pieper quoting the Apology of the Augsburg Confession in two different parts to show that, yes, yes, it's possible to be part of a church body that denies the work of Christ. However, you cannot deny the work of Christ yourself, and that's a tension that we got to hold. So before we move on to the next fundamental doctrine, point four on page 84, Pastor Reese, Pastor Gunia, any, any more thoughts on that opening section? One, one thing that came to my mind is, uh, as a pastor, you know, you encounter people all the time who uh, want to talk to you about their Christianity. And, of course, as pastors, our, our hope is always that, you know, we would see people join our fellowship, not, not because we, we think we're better than everyone else, but because we do believe that our doctrine is more sound than everyone else, and it's not, that's not so much an arrogance because I would expect that the Baptist preacher down the street from me is going to believe that his doctrine is the sound doctrine as compared to Lutheran doctrine. And so he and I then can have an open and honest conversation about that. But what I mean is you have people who will come in and they will confess Lutheran doctrine very well, but for some reason they don't want to leave the tradition that they came from or what have you. And there's a real struggle there, and you sometimes feel like you have failed if you have not convinced them by by the use of sound doctrine, which they, in you know, for all intents and purposes, seem to agree with, uh, but you say, cannot convince them to actually join your fellowship, you you feel like you failed, and yet we have to remind ourselves that our job isn't to uh, bring new members into the church. Our job is simply to preach the word uh, faithfully and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. And God will accomplish his purpose or his word just as he's promised to do. His word will not return to him empty. So it's not about success or failure. It's about preaching the word. It's about sharing the truth of God's word uh, and, and letting the Holy Spirit worry about who goes to which congregation. And, uh, you know, and, and you can give thanks to God that there is a faithful Christian sitting in the pew at some maybe less than faithful church uh, because maybe that. Uh, that gospel influence that that person has will will spread to others. Hmm. Gunya? Well, it is good news to think about how uh, people in erring church bodies would think to themselves, oh, you know what, I know that my pastor says such and so, but I really don't believe that, and actually come to the true faith. Um, but the other side of the coin is that I always am aware that there might be people in my congregation who listen to my sermons and my teachings and say, you know, this is what pastor says, but, you know, I don't think the Lutherans have it right on that one, which always reminds me it's important to keep going back to the fundamentals, to teach the same things over and over and over again. Uh, it, it's highly important. Faith comes through hearing. And to, to, to be aware of that, and, and actually that's really interesting that you say, and may, maybe it was intentional, highly important faith comes through hearing, because the fourth fundamental doctrine Dr. Pieper lists is effectively that reality, that faith comes through hearing. Point four on page 84 says, Scripture teaches furthermore that saving faith is always faith 
in the word of Christ, faith in the external word of the gospel, which Christ commanded his church to preach and to teach. This external word is the object of faith, i.e. Mark 1, believe the gospel, and the means by which faith is created, Romans 10. You just quoted it, Pastor Gunya, faith comes by hearing. A belief whose object is not the word of Christ, as we have it in the word of his apostles, John 17, and which is not the product of this word, is, according to the scriptures, a delusion, ignorance, and a human fabrication. 1 Timothy 6, 1 Corinthians 2, faith in the wisdom of men. He says a little bit more there, but a chance just to kind of build on what you were saying before, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Which word? An external word, word Jesus actually left with us to believe. How do we know what that is? Well, he told the apostles to teach it, and they wrote it down. Yeah? Uh, yeah, Jesus does not want us to walk around uncertain and wondering, well, what did Jesus really do? What did he really say? And so that we might have certainty, Jesus gives us the word, the authoritative teaching of the eyewitnesses of all that Jesus has said and done. Uh, they wrote down what they preached, the things that Jesus said and done, so that we might have certainty. Uh, furthermore, these words are put into water for holy baptism. They're put into bread and wine for holy communion. So it's the word that creates and sustains faith within us. Reese? Yeah, I mean, this is this is where the rubber meets the road again. Um, the wisdom of men is the last word you, you quoted there when he's re- referencing 1 Corinthians 2 and, and 1 Timothy 6. This was something that already was a problem from the very beginning, and, and Paul is dealing with it. He's dealing with it with the Corinthian church, and he's dealing with it, uh, you know, he's dealing with it through Timothy uh, as he warns Timothy about these things. But we are constantly always, and all of us are guilty of this. All of us struggle with this. We, we constantly want to fall back into the wisdom of men. You know, I trust my own wisdom more than anything else, including Scripture, and that is a flaw that I have to continually repent of. So the language of a delusion and ignorance, a human fabrication, and the next sentence where Luther calls this nothing but an air castle, right? It's a a dream Mm -hmm. fortress. How much of this, you say we're all tempted to it, but don't we hear this, you know, my God would never say that, or the the God I believe in, well, he wouldn't, you know, say this or do those things. You have a very common perception that the God of the Old Testament and Jesus really aren't buddies at all. They have totally different ways of doing things, because look how mean that'll Old Testament God was. But all of this is is effectively saying, well, the whole world might not know who God is, but I do, and, and I'm going to decide that the whatever I make up out of my own mind, uh, that's right. And, and uh, Luther's language here of the, the castle made of air is, is pretty spot on if you're talking about what happens at Judgment Day when the God who actually is just sets you down and says, I'm not going to let you say what you think. No, I'm going to say what I think. Huh? Yeah, and when, you know, you think about it in terms of grammar, in any sentence, Related to God and me, when I become possessive, when when I am the subject of the verb, or when I become the possessive in the sentence, uh, we have a problem, because now I have created God in my own image. I'm I'm no better than the Israelites uh, post Exodus when they created the golden calf. I mean, they they created the golden calf and they say, "Here is the God who delivered us out of Egypt," you know, and uh, they're referring to it as if it's Yahweh, and yet they have created God in their own image. And I know better than them when I do that. Gunya? Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking of something that it was 
tangential, but uh, if someone says that the God of the Old Testament is not a God of love, it makes me wonder if they've actually read the Old Testament, because God's love abounds in the Old Testament just as much as it does in the New. Uh, but to get back to the point, um, you know, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and not just that an angel of beauty, but rather light where we think that it is wisdom. Uh, so any time that I think to myself, oh, I've got it all figured out, all the Church Fathers, all the PhDs in the Church bodies, and they have not come to the wisdom that I have now come to understand. I know the mind of God. Well, I think that it's light. I think that it's wisdom, but it's actually ignorance and foolishness. Um, we have to continually humble ourselves and go back to the Scriptures, check our thoughts against the Scriptures, uh, look to the fathers who came before us and say, you know, what, what are their thoughts on this passage or on this subject? Because there are actually some fairly smart guys who went on generations before us. Um, it, it does us no good, and it does the people to whom we preach no good, if we're going to put ourselves above Jesus or put ourselves above his word. The remainder of the paragraph on page 84 in point four returns to sort of the same thing he was saying in point three about the felicitous inconsistency. He's actually going to use that language here. He says, true, there are children of God within those communions, that's church bodies, which officially officially reject the external word of Christ as the medium of the forgiveness of sins. You might think of, say, the, the Pentecostal teaching that you receive the Spirit through prayerful yearnings and the Spirit falls immediately upon you, not through a word preached. So that would be one example. Well, there's Christians among those communions, but, he says, that is due solely to the fact that there are always those who, in spite of the official teaching of their church, base their faith on the written word. That is, you know, that Pentecostal person who believes the Spirit is coming to them and has, in fact, faith in Christ, that comes from the actual words of Scripture preached. That's the only way it ever comes to them. On the felicitous inconsistency found within the Reformed communions, more will be said later. And again, we have it. Felicitous inconsistency. Happy mistake. You know, a, a joyfully, gratefully given error, <laughs> which which manages to keep you in the faith. And I, I like there, again, how he talks about believing in spite of what their church teaches. Now, again, we don't really want our, our Lutheran Christians to believe what they believe in spite of what is uh, believed, teach, and confessed by the Lutheran church, because we think it's all from Scripture. But where false teaching is preached, wherever it's preached, we hope that Christians continue to believe in Christ in spite of what it may say, even if they find themselves trapped, say, in a, in a congregational setting, which is, is supporting that. So so before we go on to point five, any other comments? Well, this is a great reminder of God's promise that, you know, through Isaiah in chapter 55, that his word will not return to him empty, but will accomplish that to which he has sent it. That there are true believers in heretical or, or heterodox uh, churches uh, is something that should give us, you know, heart to remember that, it's not about me convincing anybody of anything. It's not about me attracting anyone with this, that, or the other thing. It's all about the Word. And if the Word can work in places where everything going on publicly is hostile to it, uh, then we ought to trust that it will work even in our Lutheran churches where theoretically it's not hostile to it. Yeah, that's why it's so important to have something like unto the liturgy where the word about this salvation is just kind of always there, even if we're not paying attention to it. I, I, I love the Pentecost narrative or history. It's true, but it's also a story. I love that history because it shows us that the Word of God really doesn't care about what we put in its in its way. If it's going to do its work, it's going to do it through the midst of human 
miscommunication, chaos, and babble. He's just going to come along and, and do what it needs to do, which is not a reason to put stumbling blocks in its way. I'm not saying that. But there's some real hope to know that we actually can't stop election from electing. God's running through picking up tin cans, to quote that, that passage I think you quote almost every time you're on the show, Pastor Reese. <laughs> Hammer of God. Yeah, I probably overquote that. Yes, all right. It's, it's, it's a good thing to quote. Gunia, anything before we go on to point five? Uh, yeah, is the Christian life an individual pursuit or a collective pursuit? And I think as we talked last time, the answer to that is yes. It's a faith that individuals believe, and then the Holy Spirit brings individuals into a believing community, often call a church or a congregation, where there are pastors and there's laity, where there's prayer, where there's studying and wrestling with the scriptures, where there's baptism and communion. And because we're fallible human beings, uh, we're going to get some things wrong with regard to the details on that. Um, yet the, the Word of God is still present, and the Holy Spirit is still in the Word of God, leading us into all truth and forgiving us our sins. So uh, although there are church bodies that do not teach correctly, we rejoice that the Holy Spirit is still there among them, continuing to lead them into all truth. And if you're listening and you're in one of those church bodies, why? Yeah, with Romans 16, flee false teachers. But, but look at it this way, too. Just take these first four points and the fifth one that we're about to give and let these be something of a barometer the next time you go. Let's do it on vacation, right? We'll just assume everyone's at a great church right now. Next time you're on vacation, just, just give a little listen. Do you hear about sin? Do you hear about Jesus, the man who is God? Do you hear about Jesus' work on the cross? Do you hear about this word being present in your life now as a gift to you? And then do you hear about the resurrection of the dead. What an amazing doctrine to find out is actually fundamental, especially given our, can I call it a proto or a neo-Gnostic age in which the belief in the resurrection of the body is, is almost lost and forgotten by some. Point five, bottom of page 84, Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatic starts off like this. Scripture teaches, finally, that the denial of the bodily resurrection of the dead and of eternal life subverts Christian faith. Now, this isn't just the denial of Christ's resurrection. There are those out there who deny that, too. But this is actually the denial of all of us being raised from the dead, subverts Christian faith. This is done by the radical wing of modern Protestantism, which says that it is sufficient to believe in Christ for this life. I don't know if we'd call that the radical wing of Protestantism today. I think we would call that just kind of liberalism today. Uh, the hereafter, the resurrection, heaven and hell need not concern us, they say. And certainly, I remember there, there was a saying that kind of rose and fall within about, about 10 years called the emergent or the emerging church. And it kind of got really big. And then one of the, like, the, the pop star pastors of this group came out and said, you know, I don't believe in hell and wrote a book about it. And, and then suddenly the thing was like they were fighting each other over, what do you mean you don't believe in hell, right? So it's, it's still out there, uh, this idea that, that hell doesn't exist or that God, a good God wouldn't judge with fire and eternal punishment. But even bigger than that, I think that's not the main point here. The main point is this resurrection idea. More text to read, but I know both of you guys are probably chomping at the bit just to jump on resurrection because it is, it's so missing today. Uh, Gunia, you want to go first? I, I make it a, a, a point to bring up the resurrection of Jesus in every sermon. Uh, I know that he, everyone knows that he died for our sins. I guess not everyone knows that. Uh, we commonly confess that he died for our sins, but then we leave it at that and leave him in the tomb. But no, he rose again from the dead, and that's an important thing that gives us hope as well. Reese? It, it, blow, it blows me away um, how much we take this for granted. At, and there are many pastors who just take it for granted. They believe in the resurrection, but they don't see it as an important thing to emphasize. And I don't know. I don't know if I 
bring it up directly in every sermon, but I at least allude to it. And it, it is it is so much more than just about Easter Sunday. Um, Christ's resurrection, because Christ is raised, I too will rise. And because I too will rise, the promise of God in Psalm 103 is going to come true. You know, you know, everybody can quote the first few verses of that psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and who heals all your diseases. Well, how is it that he heals all of our diseases? How many people do we know who have died of their cancer? Their diseases weren't healed. Well, if there is no resurrection of the body, then Psalm 103, verse 3, is a lie. And yet there is a resurrection of the body, and so I can go to my cancer-plagued parishioner, and I can uh, read this psalm, and then I can take them to 1 Corinthians 15 or another uh, Scripture passage that points us to the resurrection, and I can prove to them that God will indeed heal their disease. And if He does not do it in this life, as we are praying for, we know that at the resurrection, the cancer is gone. Hmm. One of my favorite things to do as a parish pastor, which I, I miss, and and uh, let me let me fill this out before you freak out at what I said. I, I really miss the graveside committal at a funeral because there is a, a a place where I would get to and someday hope to do again. Uh, throw some dirt onto the casket that's there of the beloved who everyone gathered there is is sad to see go, for the most part. There are exceptions, but for the most part, they're sad to see them go. I get to throw dirt on that box and say, God the Father who created this body, God the Son who redeemed this body, and God the Holy Spirit who sanctified this body, we'll bring it back at the resurrection of the dead. And you're going to see them again. And I actually add to the liturgy there a German word, Auf Wiedersehen, until we meet again because that's the fact you know this is this is why it's so fundamental why are we christians if we don't believe our bodies are coming back like jesus body did what are we actually here for what what do we think is going to happen there's no hope you take away the resurrection of the dead you take away the entire reason to be christian and i can't help but wonder if the current state of christianity in america has something to do with this lost fundamental doctrine before i read on you guys want to jump on that well, just, you know, I mean, death is, is really where the resurrection is the most important, and yet, uh, and, 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 and disease also, but there's so many other ways, there's so many other places where the resurrection becomes, you know, we, we really see the resurrection as our ultimate hope. When, when I cannot get along with my, my brother, uh, or when I am estranged from my father, or when I am lamenting the the fact that I am uh, you know divorced. I'm not divorced, but I'm saying is hypothetically someone out there who's lamenting the divorce and the guilt over their part in it. Um, the resurrection is where he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Uh, all divisions cease. All of the garbage that we deal with day in and day out. Our hope is that resurrection. That's what gives us hope to endure all the mess that we endure on a daily basis. The resurrection of the body is what Christianity ultimately is all about. Yeah, Jesus' body. Yeah, that's you. Cross the fence. We'll be right back. This week on Issues Etc., we'll continue our conversation on the early warning signs of fascism with Dr. Gene Edward Veith. 
We'll talk with Dr. Jordan Wales about alt-right identitarianism, and we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Paul and Silas in prison. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. Born February 12, 1809, Lincoln began his political career in 1832 at the age of 23. Judge Stephen A. Douglas and Mr. Abraham Lincoln. But it was his debates with Stephen Douglas 26 years later that brought him to national prominence and reframed America's arguments about slavery. Lincoln became the 16th president of the United States just three years later. Lincoln often quoted the Bible in his speeches. In his House Divided speech during his campaign against Stephen Douglas, Lincoln quoted from Mark 3.25. We are now far into the fifth year with the avowed object of putting an end to slavery agitation. That agitation has not only not ceased, but has constantly augmented. It will not cease until a crisis shall have been reached and passed. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. A house divided against itself cannot stand, and Jesus is talking about the church. And if the church is going to try to stand without belief in Jesus' words, without belief in the fundamental truths of Jesus' person, his work, and his resurrection from the dead to make it so that you join him, well, then indeed we are divided as American Christians and we are finding ourselves in trouble in a dark, gray, and latter age. You listen to Cross Defense and Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk talking with Pastor Matthew Gunia and Pastor Pastor Jeffrey Reese about Francis Pieper's Christian dogmatics, fundamental doctrines of the faith, and we're in the middle of the doctrine of the resurrection of the body, which Dr. Pieper says at the top of page 85, even such conservative quote-unquote liberals as Horst Stefan declare... The strong interest in the human body and its glorified entrance into eternity, which marks the belief in the resurrection, should not be considered an absolutely necessary part of Christian faith. Rather, it seems to be an outgrowth of the Jewish ideas of future recompense. But, he says, this is now uh, Pieper responding, Holy Scripture declares that those who, like Hymenaeus, Alexander, and Philetus, deny the future bodily resurrection of the dead and sought to spiritualize the resurrection, quote, saying that the resurrection is past already, have made shipwreck concerning their faith and erred concerning the truth. That's 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 2. Such men do not belong in the Christian church, Pieper says, but must be excommunicated. Hold another topic in a box right there. Whom I have delivered over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme, Paul says of excommunication and these men back in the quoted verses. When some of the Corinthians declared that, quote, there is no resurrection of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle informed them that they knew nothing of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, and denied the entire Christian religion by denying one of its essential teachings. Christ said the same thing to the Sadducees in Matthew 22. You do err, knowing neither the scriptures nor the power 
of God. So uh, before we move into his closing of the fundamental doctrines, his conclusion on it, more about the resurrection. Uh, Guni, you want to go first this time? Well, yeah, the, from what you read, yeah, that does sound pretty important. Um, uh, as we were talking in the last segment, I was trying to look up the exact quote, but I wasn't able to find it, that I seem to recall Luther uh, spoke of graveyards as uh, gardens in the early spring, where all of these seeds have been planted in the earth here, and now we're just waiting for the glorious blooming of these seeds on the day of the resurrection. Um, Those graveyards that look all dark and ugly, especially in this wintertime, uh, they're going to be some of the most glorious places on the face of the earth on that day when Christ returns and raises the dead. Mm, Love that thought. Reese? I just keep thinking about uh, how people speak of the body after death sometimes. You know, the body's just a shell. You know, that's not grandma anymore. Um, that That's always bothered me. Um, somebody tried to, somebody actually told me that when my grandmother died. They said, well, that's, she's not there anymore. I said, no, that's my grandmother. She's, she's separated body and soul right now, but, uh, but that's still my grandmother. And, uh, you know, at, at the resurrection, I'm going to see her again, and she's going to be uh, better than I've ever seen her before, you know, on her best day. Uh, we, 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 I mean, what did God, what do they think God created prior to the fall? Did, did they think that God created purely spiritual or souls with, with nothing, you know, did flesh come upon us after the fall? Uh, it seems pretty clear to me because they had to take the rib from Adam that there was a body there prior to the fall. That is that is the the Gnostic the old Gnostic teaching though right that that the physical material world was the accidental mistaken bad creation of a of a demigod a demiurge right. they called it and so all things physical were evil and and the real hope of which Jesus came to teach us is to get back to the realm of Barbello if I might quote the Gospel of Thomas <laughs> and, you know back to this full on spirit world and so yeah I mean do people think that today I don't know I really Really don't right. know, but they seem to think that's where we're going. Is a pure that's spirit kind of place. The way it goes, everybody everybody thinks of my soul goes to heaven in the end, and they don't see that it's, it's an even greater end than that. I mean, why did Jesus? Why was Jesus able to put Thomas's hand into his side, and and show both Thomas and the other disciples the marks in his hands? Uh, because he had a risen body. That's why I barbecued fish on the seashore, too. I love it. It's going to be barbecue in heaven, I think. Mm-hmm. So, But let's, let's make sure we don't misconstrue this. We're not saying that when you die and your body is entombed in the ground, your spirit doesn't go to heaven, correct? Correct. Your soul is in the care of Christ, yes. Yeah, but that this is a, to quote Peeper from a later time, an intermediate state. It's, it's a holding mm-hmm. place of bliss, yeah, called paradise by, by Jesus on the cross, but it is incomplete. And on the last day when you're, uh, those, well, I should say, when those who have departed to be with Christ before his return are brought back, they shall be raised first. And then if we are lucky enough to be here when he comes back and not having departed through death, then we will be transformed to be like them, right? So, so those who are with Christ in heaven now come back to be with us and Christ as resurrected bodies in a eternity, which if you want to call it heaven, that's fine. Just recognize the difference between heaven before and after the return of Jesus and that the resurrection is really at the heart of all of that. 
The final paragraph we're looking at today on page 85 sort of closes this section on fundamental doctrines. He says, these fundamental doctrines did not, of course, originate with the church. That is, unless you mean by church is Jesus, right? But he's talking about with us, us Christians. Mm -hmm. They existed in full force before the church formulated them in dogmatical terms. The old dogmaticians frequently point that out. He has a reference point there. Luther, too, shows at length that the councils have proposed nothing new in their ecclesiastical termini, our language, but have merely maintained with and through Holy Scripture the old faith which the Christians held before all councils. This applies also to the Nicene Creed. The Christians say, Luther have always believed that the Son is of the same essence with the Father, even before the term homoousius was adopted over and against Arius. And that's from his On the Councils and the Churches. Uh, so, the fundamental doctrines are from Jesus. They're from Scripture. The Church hasn't made them up. We've merely recognized that they are fundamental, as opposed to the non-fundamentals, which are still true, still valuable, and even still necessary, just not quite as, center to the, as near to the, the, the gravitational center of creating saving faith in you yeah reese this is this is precisely why we turn to the the church fathers uh, in addition to the apostles and so forth is one of the things we need to be able to do whenever we're teaching anything regarding the christian faith is be able to show that this is nothing new uh i i, I hear you still hear and, and you heard it all ad nauseum last year because of the fact that it was the 500th anniversary of the nailing of the 95 theses so the Reformation was big talk, and so many people like to speak of the Reformation as as Luther founding a new church or um, uh, some sort of new innovations coming into the church, or that you know that that's what the Reformation is all about for many people. If that's true, then the Reformation was complete sin and heter and, and her her heretical and should never have happened in the first place. Um, if 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 anything that Luther taught was new then it should be marked and avoided. If anything anyone teaches regarding the, church, the Christian faith is new and has not been around uh, you know, since Christ and before, then it, it needs to go away. Yeah, it's one thing to translate something faithfully and to translate it again. It's another thing to make mm -hmm. the thing up altogether. Gunia? But I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Reese. No, I was just going to say, I think, I think that you know, he talks about the Church formulated these in dogmatical terms. A lot of people think that the Church created the teachings um, when all they're doing is systematizing them. Well, I, I will say the first time I found a book of Concord in uh, in my wife's um, uh, oh where where do college students live uh, dormitory room uh, she was studying it at the Concordia that she was at because she had to thank God they made you know, pre pre church working mm -hmm. students take a look at the thing but I, I I didn't know it from Adam what I did know was that she had to read it and learn it and I grabbed the book and I said what is with these doctrines of men because I was such an, uh, a young fool as to assume that doctrine meant from men right or dogma meant men made this thing up over and above and beyond the bible and what i didn't realize was as i say every time we open this show that the word of god has come to us with such power that we can actually speak it <laughs> we can understand it we can repeat it again we can echo we can catechize we can confess all of these words so your point is so well taken pastor reese that the doctrines of the church we don't say that they are things which men believe they are things which christ has said that we believe now because he has said them and to see dogma as as that as the as the truth when jesus says i am the way and the truth and the life he's saying i am the dogma <laughs> yeah and we don't want to let go of any of that yeah, the five points are pretty important i can see why they included these as the framework of the apostles and nicene creeds which our churches confess every sunday 
and uh, in devotions every weekday as well. Um, Jesus existed. He, he was born. He died. He physically rose again. He did it so that us sinners might be saved. We know this from the Word, according to the Scriptures. Uh, it, it's the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Any other closing thoughts from either of you with about two minutes left? to summarize the whole hour or say whatever you want to say to the world? <laughs> whatever I want to say, huh? Well, it's got to be about <laughs> awesome pretty... stuff, but yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the the fundamental doctrines. This is this is really important. Um, and uh, you you church members out there, you know, ask your pastors to unpack this with your congregations in in Bible class because it really is important to understand uh, why we have why we call them fundamental doctrines and why it's so important to believe them because there it, it, you'd be surprised how many people are out there who think well I believe in Jesus and that's all that matters well. What do you believe about Jesus? Who who is Jesus? Are, is the Jesus you believe in the Jesus that the Scriptures teach, or is the Jesus you believe in the Jesus that you have formulated in your own mind? Because left to my own devices, I will formulate a Jesus that's comfortable for me. Good yeah. I I would say in particular, if you have an opportunity, talk to with your pastor about uh, death and resurrection. Um, I, I think that I can speak for all three of us that. One of the most awkward times when you hear false doctrine is at funerals when someone is sobbing and saying, Grandma is now an angel in heaven, and that's just simply not true. But at the same time, it's not a context where they're able to hear the truth um, for the most part. Uh, so before you get to that funeral, have an understanding of what actually happens in death and in resurrection, and, and recognize that God created the body and declared it good. It's not some obstacle that keeps us from God. It's part of the, the creation which God loves. And uh, thank you very much on that. I would. I'm just going to chime in and say, on the same level, what you have here is a wonderful sermon diagnostic in general. I mean, be gentle with your pastor, but if you're if the next time you hear me preach, listen because I really ought to say something about sin, something about the person of Jesus, something about the work of Jesus, something about how this word is here for you now, and something about what it means for you on the last day. If that isn't in the sermon, it's not a fully functioning Christian sermon. I mean, it really is a great hand box for a toolbox for you just to listen for the right things and take that home. I uh, to, to close here on this end, guys, I'll just say your names first. Uh, uh, pastor uh, Jeffrey Reese, he's pastor, senior senior pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. Pastor Matthew Gunia, Ascension Lutheran Church in Niles, Illinois. Uh, gentlemen, I really thank you for your time. I ran into a second-year seminarian Friday evening at a basketball game who remembered me from when he was a kid at my vicarage congregation. He said, tell me if this was true, Pastor Fisk. He said, were you the vicar who preached a sermon where you walked out of the pulpit and you walked over the wall and you started knocking on the wall and asking to be let in. And I was like, holy moly. Yes, that was me. And then I'm like, I have no idea what my point was or what I was trying to do. And, and, and neither did he. We both laughed about it. And so you can remember the illustration, but you have no idea what was illustrated. And so I'm telling you, don't listen for the illustrations. Listen for these five fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Look for them because they are what's going to feed your faith. Not whatever clever thing Vicar Fisk is going to, is going to keep your attention with, uh, but the actual summarizing of what we believe and why we believe it in the person, work, actions, and future of Jesus preached for you. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. This is your weekly dose of Worldview Demolition. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. And I got to tell you all, until next time, keep it rocking on.
listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.